Hey guys, welcome back to Rumble in the Jungle. Uh, we're recording right now out of Marseille, France. So if you hear some background noise, it's because we're at this uh, rooftop bar. Uh, so maybe a little noisier than normal, but we, hopefully we're making up for it with a beautiful view. Uh, we're here actually in Europe doing a, a tour for the next month. And I'm just gonna be training jiu-jitsu, doing rock climbing, and uh, some other fun activities. So we're gonna have some YouTube videos and some of those other things uh, coming up shortly. Uh, today, we're gonna talk about the most recent who's number one, and then we're gonna talk a bit about some of our uh, adventures here in Europe so far. Uh, without further ado, uh, we wanna talk about the first match on the who's number one card that we watched, was the Oliver Taza versus Tynan Dolpra match. So just a little bit of context on this match. Tynan Dolpra is a Gi world champion, and he's probably one of the biggest stars in the Gi. And a lot of people were, were really excited to see his no-gi debut, uh, which he had a couple months ago. And he won by submission, and he looked great. Uh, but this match was against Oliver Taza, who he's a, a top 15-ranked jiu-jitsu competitor in the 170-pound division. So this was a match where Tynan was going up against a guy who's, who's ranked very highly, and he's uh, a veteran of the sport extremely well-rounded like Oliver Taza is good on top he's good on bottom he's good in the scrambles he's good wrestling he uh, doesn't have any holes in his game he competes all the time so it was, it was a good opportunity to see uh Tynan go up against a guy of that caliber although uh this match was at 185 pounds so Tynan probably cut a couple pounds to make that weight class and Oliver Taza weighed in about eight pounds below the weight limit so uh Tynan was taking on uh a noticeably smaller opponent in this match, but nonetheless, he uh, looked big, he looked strong, he looked very technical, and when he decided to, to make his moves, uh, you could really tell like uh, his technical prowess. So it was, it was an exciting match. What do you think about this one, Victoria? The first thing I noticed was the weight difference. I didn't know what that was gonna look like. I don't see many matches where the weight differences by a lot, so I had no idea what that was gonna look like. Um, so watching Oliver, just like, he, he's very fast. So anytime that he was pinned down, he would squirm. And he was like very quick to get to like his front facing position. So his back wasn't being taken. So, so part of the reason we have Victoria here is we, we want the perspective of somebody who's not an expert in jiu-jitsu. So, you know, just like a, a casual fan or someone who's new to the sport, uh, it's good to kind of hear the outside perspective. Well, I think one of the things that makes Oliver so exciting and so good is he's another one of these guys uh, who just doesn't stop moving. He's constantly attacking. He's confident in his game, like, everywhere. So he's not afraid to play guard. He's not afraid to pass. He's not afraid to wrestle. He will, like, hunt and look for the submission the entire time from all the positions. And I think Oliver really made this match an exciting one because he, he, didn't, let the, he didn't let it settle. He didn't just kind of concede any position. He was constantly working. And um, I, I think... This is kind of my thought. I think uh, Tynan looked like when he would move, like either for a pass or a takedown, he made good on a lot of scoring uh, opportunities. However, this was a no-gi submission-only match. So I think under the submission-only rule set, I didn't really see any big submission attempts from Tynan. Uh, Oliver, I know, was looking for submissions, but I think he had a tough time uh, getting into like positions where he could threaten submissions. So he, I think he had a tough time getting into the legs, getting into the neck, and it just kind of wasn't really many opportunities for him to, to hunt for a submission. And then Tynan, I don't think he had any submission attempts either, 
So I think it, this match kind of came down to positional dominance and Tynan got a couple guard passes. So I think that gave him the win. But in, in the future, especially under this rule set, I would like to see Tynan hunt for more submissions. I think this is an ADCC match. That'd be a little different because, you know, he could score the takedown, he scored the pass. But for who's number one, I think what everyone wants to see is submissions. And, and I think we'd like to see Tynan give up position going for submissions under this rule set. So, you know, it was very clear he was good on top and he was good. You know, he has amazing passing, some of the best in the world. But once he passes, you know, I think you need to be willing to give up possibly losing side control in order to hunt for those sub attempts. And, you know, if you're on top and people are, are regarding with their legs, jump on the legs. I think this is the rule set to do that. Again, who's number one uh, is designed for that kind of a, a match. If this is ADCC or IBJJF, then I think he probably had a perfect game plan. So that, that's kind of my takeaway from that. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the next match you watched was the Mika Galvo versus Kenta Iwamoto. So this match was interesting. Uh, uh, Mika came out to that song, uh, Falling in Love with You by Elvis Presley which was an interesting walkout song. It was not one you typically see. And the, the mood was like a little uh, interesting for like a jiu-jitsu fight. What did you think? Yeah, well, that was definitely interesting. And he pointed to his girlfriend and started singing it to her. I don't know. <laughs> it was a little cringe, to be honest. Um, you know, they talk about the ick. <laughs> you, yeah, and it's like, you know, he, he, I think he, I've met Mike Mika before, and he's very genuinely sweet and nice. Uh -huh. And he's, I think it was a very, from a very genuine place. Yeah. But from a marketing perspective, I think we'd like to see, uh, I don't know, like maybe a little bit more uh, like flair or like a, like a higher energy song, perhaps for the walkout. Yeah. That might be good. Yeah. You know, I think maybe after, you know, like after the match, it's a good time to have the whole singing, falling in love with you. <laughs> but right before you're about to fight another grown man, it's just an interesting choice. Uh, but with that said, once the match started, it was all Mika. Mm -hmm. Like Mika continues to be one of the most exciting guys in jiu-jitsu. Now, uh, speaking, uh, this is a bit of a contrast between uh, Tynan, uh, where Tynan kind of played a more conservative position-based game. Mika was almost the complete opposite. Where Mika was not wrestling for the takedown, Mika was wrestling for the submission. And he didn't seem to care if he was on bottom, he was on top. He didn't seem to care if he got taken down necessarily. He was just looking to hit sub attempts out of every position. Like Kenta, and Kenta's an amazing wrestler, an amazing passer. And Kenta had some really good takedowns. But as soon as Kenta would get close to getting a takedown, Mika would be on and like he'd be on an arm, he'd be on a choke, he'd be on some kind of like deep and meaningful uh, submission attempts. What, what do you think about this match? I remember watching this one and asking Joe to like replay what just happened. And we had to put it in slow-mo like times three. And I had to watch it like several times and he had, of course explains it to me, but it, it was so funny. It just have everything happened so fast. I needed slow motion. Yeah, it was really interesting. I think the first one we noticed was uh, there was a really good uh, takedown attempt from uh, Kenta where Kenta shot, I think, I believe it was a uh, single leg or a double leg. And then it looked like Kenta threw him to the ground. Yeah. And then when you watched it in slow motion, you saw that uh, Kenta off balanced him. Mika recovered his balance. And then he took the overhook and he jumped up for the arm bar. Yeah. And then he went from the arm bar to the triangle. Yeah. And so he had two submission attempts within a split second, all off of the, the takedown, the takedown attempt mm -hmm. by Kenta. 
And, and this is kind of the story of the match where we saw that repeatedly happen, where it's just Kenta would go for a really good takedown defense or takedown attempt. Next thing you know, uh, he's in an arm. Yes, he he's trying to escape an arm bar. He's trying to escape a triangle. Uh, Mika has a guillotine. There's some kind of legitimate, like, quick explosive submission attempt by Mika. It was so impressive. I feel like Mika sees everything in slow motion. Yeah, it's like he's like in Matrix mode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, He's like Neo, dude. He's like, he's like dodging bullets and then like shooting back. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. He has like some of the fastest reaction speed in the sport. He's just like, it's a, it's a pleasure watching him compete. And then, he, of course, he finished the match by uh, taking the back eventually and, and strangling Kenta, I believe seven minutes in. So he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And he was a replacement for, uh, for Nikki Ryan, who got injured. And so th I think that's still a match that's on the table that we'd all like to see. Uh, Nikki Ryan has amazing, amazing submission ability and amazing defense. But but once Nikki gets back into full health, I would love to see him versus Mika. I think that'd be an incredible match. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, the next match we have is uh, Diego Pato versus Dante Leon. So uh, Diego Pato moved up a whole weight class to challenge Dante Leon, who's been on an amazing role. Last year, Dante, last year, yeah, Dante Leon, he moved up to super heavyweight, so 215 pounds. He, this match that he was competing at, who's number one, was at 155 pounds. So he moved up, you know, that's 60 pounds uh, to compete at the Pan Ams last year in Nogi, and he won that division. And then he's been competing in Aiga and submitting everybody. So Dante Leon has been on fire, looking about as good as he's ever looked and looking like one of the best in the world. So that's kind of like the context heading into this match. Uh, Diego Pato, since he moved to AOJ, he's looked incredible since he had that move. He beat Diego Hayes to get the belt. And um, this match, I thought, you know, it was going to be really competitive. But to be honest, I thought Dante Leon would win. Uh, but what happened is uh, Pato just kept attacking the whole time, kept Dante uncomfortable, and uh, eventually got a leg entanglement and got the, the finish. So that was incredibly impressive finish from Diego Pato like I I did not expect that at all and it was really impressive to see a smaller athlete move up a weight class against one of the absolute best in the world at that higher weight class and then get a submission win so he moved up a weight class but that, does that mean that he also had to gain some weight um he was the same weight but just moved up so he, he maybe kept his weight around the same just didn't cut weight so Dante Leon surely cut weight. Diego Pato probably just didn't cut weight at all and weighed in. Oh, okay. So maybe something similar to like the Taza versus Tynan match. Yeah. It's interesting to see that weight difference versus that previous match you just talked yeah. about. Well, if you see like Dante Leon next to Diego Pato, like they look two completely different sizes. Like Dante Leon can like deadlift like 500 pounds. He's like a super, super strong athlete and he's taller. Diego Pato shorter and looks like considerably smaller. So yeah, it was very, very impressive. Cool to see. So the next match we have is the Nikki Rod versus Victor Hugo match. So this was a, a really uh, big match. It was really exciting. This was the main event. And um, Nikki Rod has been looking very, very good lately. And Victor Hugo as well. Victor Hugo coming off that uh, match against uh, Big Dan. And Nikki Rod, of course, you know, two-time ADCC silver medalist. Um, one of the most athletic freak athletes in the game. Um, so, yeah, th this was one that was shaping up to be a really explosive, exciting match. And um, 
when it began, it looked like um, kind of a, a typical game from Nicky Rod where, uh, you know, he's, he's looking to be on top. If you don't want to pull guard, he'll happily wrestle with you. He's an amazing wrestler. If you do pull guard, then he's happy to work his top game. And Nicky's been showing a lot of improvements in his top game. Before, he'd kind of just look for some explosive knee cuts when he first kind of hit the scene. And if you didn't get those, you kind of disengage, and that was his primary thing. Maybe a cartwheel pass here and there. But it's kind of just really explosive game, uh, kind of cagey on the outside, not looking to engage. And then right before the last ADCC, he showed a, a big uh, improvement to his game where he started working on a lot of body lock passes, which he's nicknamed the Roddy Lock. Um, and then even more recently, he's looking to engage beyond just the uh, body lock passing and those kind of explosive fast passes. He's doing a lot more high step passing and uh, just really evolving uh, his passing game like quite a bit. So it was interesting to see him, you know, he's becoming a, a really well-rounded uh, passer against someone who has one of the best guards in the heavyweight division, uh, Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo is six foot five, you know, 270 pounds, and he likes to play guard on his back. So this was a, an opportunity to see how Nicky was going to do in a match up against one of the best guard players in his division. And uh, to be honest, uh, Nicky looked really good. He looked about as good as ever. But uh, Victor Hugo looked just a, a little bit better, where uh, for this rule set, uh, this mission-only rule set, I think Victor Hugo was playing the right game, where Victor Hugo was, was going for submissions. So at one point in the first couple minutes, he had a sub-attempt where he went for an Uma Plata and then Nikki wanted to kind of roll out, and then he turned it into a, a belly down ankle lock. And Nikki defended and got out of it, but it was two kind of rapid fire submission attempts back to back. And then later on in the match, towards the end, Nikki got that, uh, or not Nikki, uh, Victor Hugo got a, a very nice armbar attempt, which Nikki, uh, his great submission defense, got out of that as well. And then in the last minute or so, uh, Nikki went for a toe hold because I think he saw he was down two submission attempts to one. The toe hold, he had a good grip with the hands, but he didn't really have the leg entanglement, so there's no real breaking pressure. Victor Hugo got out, and then in the last 30 seconds or so, Victor Hugo took his back, got him out, took his back again. So he kind of solidified the positional uh, aspect of this match as well. So it kind of came down to uh, two sub attempts versus one, and then uh, better positional control by uh, Victor at the end. So really good match. Um, It'd be interesting to see this match at ADCC because I think under the ADCC rule set, I think it would favor Nikki Rodmore. I think the uh, who's number one rule set favors uh, Victor Hugo more. But it was, it was a really good match between these two. What, what did you think about that? I really have nothing to say about that one. <laughs> so there you go. On the next episode, we'll be breaking down the round two of the ADCC European Trials, which is sure to be super exciting. This one takes place in Zagreb, Croatia. I think is a great place for the for these trials. It's uh, a little bit warmer, more Mediterranean than some of the other locations that they hold this. So I think it's uh, it's cool to see it there, and uh, it's going to be exciting. All these trials, the European trials in particular, each time they have it, you see the athletes get better and better and better. Europe's really coming up on the jiu-jitsu scene, so it's exciting to see how this one will will play out. And then I know my boy Cody Seals there with his uh, lady Nora, and she's expected to be one of the top. Um, expecting to, to win the division. So um, it'll be exciting to see how that goes and, and kind of catch up on that in the next episode. And then uh, the last thing we're going to talk about today is uh, one of our experiences uh, here in Marseille rock climbing. 
So we went to this place called uh, Kalung. It's maybe like uh, half an hour, 45 minutes outside of Marseille here. And uh, we did outdoor rock climbing for the first time. So uh, we started rock climbing maybe four months ago. Originally, I started doing it because I had an injured bicep. And uh, rock climbing was a, was a really good rehab exercise for me. And it's really fun. Since I've been doing it, I've actually fallen like in love with it. It's very, very fun. And uh, it has great uh, crossover for jiu-jitsu. It's really good with your grip strength in jiu-jitsu and your squeeze strength in jiu-jitsu. But we've been doing mostly indoor bouldering. So bouldering is you only go up maybe 15, 20 feet and you jump down. There's no ropes. And what we did uh, yesterday was we, we did multi-pitch outdoor climbing. So what that means is uh, if you have like a rope that's maybe a couple hundred feet, you climb up the length of the rope, clipping in as you go up. So if you fall, you only fall uh, double the distance from you to the last clip you clipped in at. Uh, so you could say you go up 200 feet and then you clip in and then you go up again. And then you kind of think of it like hiking, but you're, you're in sections, various sections called pitches. You're climbing up a really big face of rock. So yesterday we went rock climbing and did maybe like seven sections, each of maybe a couple hundred feet per section. So altogether, we probably climbed over a thousand feet. And uh, it was the first time we've done any kind of multi-pitch climbing, the first time we've done outdoor climbing, other than just messing around on some boulders in Austin. And uh, it was kind of a, a wild experience. Uh, I guess, first of all, I'll say this. I want to say this really quick. Yes, go ahead. People wonder what it's like dating Joe or living with Joe. Okay. It's like this. Joe's like, let's go rock climbing outside. Let's go bungee jumping off a bridge. Like, let's go do the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. <laughs> like, stuff that sounds like putting me out of my comfort zone. Um, but I love it. It's it, it's really fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm constantly finding, like, crazy stuff for us to do. I made her uh, go surfing for the first time in shark-infested waters in South Africa. Jeffrey's Bay. Yeah, I signed us up to go... Uh, diving in a cage with a great white shark uh which, which we missed because uh we got food poisoning yeah i made her go bungee jumping off the tallest uh commercial bungee jumping spot in the world and then uh um, even got me into jiu-jitsu or sorry into rock climbing and then i got her into rock climbing yeah. so i'm just uh constantly uh forcing her to do uh all these crazy activities with me and making both her and her mom very stressed but luckily i don't take much convincing yeah. Like he'll bring it up and I'll contemplate a little bit, but ultimately I always, I always give in or just give up. She's always down. So that makes yeah. it fun. Uh, but I will say this, uh, most of these places we go and do these things at have amazing views. Oh yeah. And, uh, Kalonk was, was no different. So we got there and just imagine like, you know, and I don't know how many feet, maybe a couple thousand feet, maybe a thousand and a half feet, uh, thousand and a half foot face straight into the water. So just these beautiful limestone, white limestone cliffs and then the Mediterranean Sea behind you. And it's incredibly beautiful. Uh, so, so nice. What, what, what did you think about it, by the way? Oh, I thought it was so much fun. I didn't know what to expect. Like, Neither did I, time, to be honest. I saw a photo and I was like, that looks cool, let's do that. Yeah, I was like, I don't know where we're going. Um, it, it was a really nice surprise once I saw the view. But once we got to the bottom, we're ready to climb. I was actually very nervous because in the rock climbing gym, you know exactly where the handholds are. You know where you're going to put your foot. You know where you're going to put your hand. Like, you might, you trial and error. Like, you don't know what positions are going to be the best. When you're climbing the face of the rock, you don't know where your hand's going, where your foot's going. So your mind is constantly, it's like, what would you call it? It's not, it's not even a puzzle. It's just like, it's like a hide and seek. 
search and find game. Yeah, it's like you're, you're trying to like read the rock. Yeah. So you're trying to like just like plan as you're doing it and as you're kind of like tired and fatiguing, you haven't seen it before, trying to figure out like where do you want to put each foot, where do you want to put your arms, and these things have to move in like uh, conjunction with one another. So yeah, well, uh, let me get into that a little bit. Uh, some of the kind of the more like risky spots of the climb yeah. in a minute. But I just want to start by kind of setting the scene with the view. So um, we did maybe a 30 minute hike to like the base of this cliff that overlooks the water. And we're maybe 20 feet away from the water, something like that. And uh, we're close enough to see all the fish below us. So I was talking to the, the, our, our uh, climbing guide and he was saying that the cliff just continues into the water. And so like the depth right there is maybe 100, uh, 120 feet. Uh, so it's so deep you can't see the bottom, but we could see a bunch of fish. There's a school of fish right below us. So that was really cool. And the water was perfect turquoise, crystal clear. It was, it was so, so gorgeous. Um, and we hiked out from a bay to get to this cliff and that bay was like, it was, it was so beautiful. Um, if you guys are interested, we'll put some, uh, we're going to put up another video probably sometime in the next couple of days where we'll show you, uh, videos of this whole climb and we'll talk through it in a bit more detail. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was absolutely like stunning views. Uh, um, so we went up the first pitch that wasn't too bad. The second pitch was actually a little bit scarier. It was more of a straight climb. And I remember at one point, the rock was a little bit smoother and it was harder to find like holds for my hands and my feet. Yeah. And I just remember like thinking like, I can't jump down from here. Like I have to figure out a way to go up, which normally in the gym, if I can't pass like a certain area or I'm getting fatigued, like my forearms are cramping, like my hands hurt, my feet hurt, like I'll just jump down. Like I'll come back down. I'll try it again next time. Yeah, just take a look at it and you'll think about it and then you'll try it again when you're like not tired. Yeah. And here you cannot do that all. You're the only one that can save yourself and only you can go up. So that was yeah. a bit scary realization because my arms were fatigued, fatiguing and I had to like let go, like shake out my hand and like hold back onto the wall. But constantly searching for those holds, I was actually like a little terrified because even the holds for my feet were so tiny. I didn't think my foot was going to be able to. And it was nice though, because the rock was like very, very coarse. So the rock had like a lot of friction on it, which helped a lot. Uh, but the holds were very, very small. And uh, another thing, another aspect of this too, is as you're climbing up, you have to unclip yourself because you have to unclip yourself. And then, uh, so I guess the order of this is Victoria or the guide went first. That guy uh, clipped in the carabiners and the rope. And then me and Victoria came behind, Victoria going second. So she had to unclip herself, her rope from like the carabiners. Then I would go up and I had to unclip myself from the carabiners and then put the carabiner on my waist and climb up the carabiners. And it kind of got heavier as I continued to climb. Uh, but one thing you notice is that when there's, you're clipped into the route, you can't like deviate. So if you're looking at the rock and you think, okay, maybe it'd be easier if I went over here to the right, over here to the left, you can't. Because if you don't get exactly right over where the carabiner is, you can't unclip yourself. So like you kind of forced to go a certain route. Another thing that happens is sometimes those carabiners are set at a location where there's really terrible holds. Where like there's one good hold for one hand, but not the other hand, but you need your other hand to unclip yourself. So sometimes you're like waiting at these locations and you're like struggling to try to unclip and like reclip your carabiner in or to unclip yourself and it's tied around my rope. And while you're there, you're like struggling because it's so hard just to like hold yourself there. 
And then you start to get a little stressed. You're like, I'm tired. This rock is slippery. I feel like I might fall. Even though I'm roped in, I think I'm most likely not going to fall to my death. But like, I don't want to risk it because looking down, it's really far. And it's super scary. It's, it's very scary. So fortunately, yeah. neither one of us fell the whole time. We were able to climb the whole thing. But like, it was definitely like nerve wracking when you feel like you're in a precarious situation, you're tired and you're like struggling to unclip in hard location. I just remember this one point where my feet were barely able, it, it, at least I felt like they were able to Tip hold toes, me. yeah. I had to like lean my chest, my hips into the wall. And then my right side, I remember my hand grabbing a pinch, like literally pinching like the rock. And then with my left hand unhooking myself with the carabiner, which took like, I swear like 30 seconds because I just couldn't. Yeah. It was, my rope was so tight. I couldn't unhook myself. Yeah. Um, but after I hooked myself, I was like, I need to keep moving up. But I just remember that one instance where I honestly started to sweat. <laughs> yeah, it was tough, man. Because this one section she's talking about, what made it so hard is there's maybe like uh, eight or 10 foot section where like the rock was really smooth. So for some sections, the rock was like, had a lot of kind of like bubbles and holes and it was pretty easy to climb. Uh, but there'd be certain sections where there'd be like no really good holes. Like polished. Yeah. So you'd have to have like, like a little pinch with like one of your fingers where it's like, you're not even like a crimp. You're just kind of like pinching with these fingers. <laughs> and then your other hand like has nothing really. Yeah. And then your feet kind of have to like walk themselves up. And then you have to kind of like trust that you can kind of get up high enough to grab the next small hold. And you have to do that for a couple moves in a row until you can get back to like where the good holds are. So this situation was like very vertical, terrible holds, and and stressful place to unclip. To, to unclip. So it was a uh, yeah, it was it was a really fun experience, and we definitely got uh, a good little like dose of adrenaline on that. Oh, I guess another part of this too that we didn't talk about is uh, as we were climbing up, we had more weight than we normally have. So in the gym, we just have like our clothes and our shoes, that's it. For, the, for this hike, we had our helmet, we had uh, our, our backpack that had lunch in it, it had water in it, it had- uh, Our jackets. Uh, our jackets, our, our shoes, our hiking boots. Uh, it had like our phones. Oh, and then yeah. as, as I was climbing up, I'd be collecting the carabiners and adding the like carabiners. So maybe sometimes I'd only collect maybe five or six, but some of the, the pitches I'd have to collect like 12, 13 carabiners. So it, it started to get kind of heavy because each carabiner is like a, a rope like tied to two pieces of metal. So <laughs> I just also remember um, trying to talk to our tour guide. Oh, yeah. He's talking talkie So when he's up there, he can communicate with us. And I've asked him a question. And he there was a language barrier. So Yeah, that's an important thing. So I guess we'll say this. Uh, he spoke some English, but it definitely wasn't fluent English. So like you'd ask questions and oftentimes they'd be misinterpreted which is like you know his english is way better than our french so there's you know we cannot complain about that but it, it made like some of these tricky situations feel like a little bit more tricky because they're like i don't know if he understands what i'm trying to tell him and this feels important <laughs> also one thing i remember is in the beginning he was asking joe which type of like oh, belay what i want belay he yeah. wanted and he was like this one has a safety this one doesn't have a safety but this one i die if, yeah. If I fall, this one I don't die. If I fall, and I was like, oh, "Why are you giving us options?" Yeah, I, I was like, "For sure." I think I think this other one was faster. Okay. But I was like, "For sure, give me the safer one because yeah. I'm not trying to die today." Yeah. Like, I, I very I very much need to get back because I have a podcast to record. <laughs> don't have time to be dying today. And then when he was explaining us like how to do the climbing, how to tie, everything was very like quick, telling us how to do things. And Joe and I looked at each other like, 
There's, yeah. There was definitely the protocol safety. The safety protocol was very minimal. Oh. Um, so. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, a lot of trust in strangers. I'll, like I'll say this though, like, it did. I didn't feel unsafe. Yeah, I did. But, but I also felt like it was very quick to go over everything. Yeah. And you kind of had to just like use your common sense, like to understand the situation because the. The explanation of, of what was going to happen was not very long and thorough, like you might expect in the U.S. And to be honest, like I, I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, I, I like that it's kind of like on you, and it's kind of like you know, don't be dumb. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely like quick. It was definitely quick, and it made it like I think a, a little added another element of kind of uh, the unknown to at least the first couple pitches. I think after we did the first pitch, we had it like ninety five percent down. By the time we got to the second pitch, we're like, okay, cool. I know exactly what to do. Oh, yeah. It made sense. And, and then by the end, it was like, I feel like I could do this no problem. This yeah, good. yeah. I just remember looking at Joe like. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the second and third pitch probably had the hardest section of the whole route. And then the last pitch was probably the second hardest. So the very last pitch, there was like a whole section that did not have good holds. And there was like a slight overhang. And it maybe went up like 20 feet or something. So it's kind of like a, like a boulder problem at the very, very end when you're already like fatigued. And for me in the gym, normally like the thing I notice that gets tired is like my grips and my, like my pooling strength. But here on this wall, because uh, it was mostly slab, I feel like my hands were just stopping me from falling off the rock, but my, my legs were doing all the climbing. And I have big feet, I have size 15 feet. So like my calves were burning. <laughs> they were burning so bad. It was like, like, it was the craziest calf workout I've ever had in my life. This was like a thousand feet of like tippy toe climbs. It was it was uh it was fun, but like yeah, I got back home and I was like, dude, my legs are shot. Yeah. They're so tired. And I just did heavy squats the other day. Boy, this is this is rough. I think we spent we had about a like half an hour hike there to get to the base of it. Then it was about three hours of climbing and then maybe half an hour, forty five minute hike back. So the whole thing together was about five hours, I'd say. Yeah. It, I was exhausted. It was, yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a long day. Extremely fun. Like some of the most fun I've ever had doing something outdoors. Me too. And like I would love to do it again. It was such mm -hmm. a good experience. Uh, yeah, it was great. Honestly, it made me addicted to want to do more outdoor climbing. Yeah. It made me feel like this maybe is extreme. You see like Yosemite, like Half Dome, like you can climb up the rock face. And if I could get to the level where I can actually do that climb, like, I feel like it'd be so fun because, like, the views when you're up there are amazing. And I'm, I'm afraid of heights. I think Rock Army is helping me get over my fear of heights because a couple times, like, I had to, like, you're mostly looking in front of you or looking above because you're trying to see what you're climbing. But a couple times, if I had, like, a good hold, I would, like, stop and look back down and I'd see, like, how far it was down. And I'd be like, oh, shit, this is kind of scary. I, like, I'd pause for a second, look back at the wall. I'd be like, okay, this is fine. As long as I look forward, it's fine. Then I'll look back down again. And uh, it was, I don't know, I like adrenaline. It was definitely exciting. And it was beautiful to look down and just, like, observe uh, the, the natural beauty in the area and even just kind of the, the heights. It was, uh, for me, it was, it was scary, but it was also, like, a very fun and rewarding experience. I'll do it again. Do it again for sure. And Musab, you better bet your ass I'm going to get you out on these rocks. <laughs> We're going to do rock climbing, not plastic Musab, climbing. Musab, you know what? You guys are going climbing, okay? <laughs> um yeah so so that's it um hope you guys enjoyed this episode we'll film again uh after the adcc trials this weekend so we'll maybe film monday or tuesday uh we'll be in uh bologna italy 
and then uh, we head to Berlin after that. So we'll try to get you guys an episode in the next week, and we'll give you more updates. Okay, thanks.